Hello, listeners. This is New Money by Calvin Harris and 21 Savage. I'm going to let this play a little bit, and then we'll get into the podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate it. Yeah, 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 Gucci on me check, Hermes check, Louis V check, yeah, Fendi Cosa check, yeah, diamonds on my neck, yeah, make your bitch wet, yeah, treat me like a king, yeah, no disrespect to show you. All right. Welcome to episode 169 of the Blake Mayfield Podcast. I am your host, Blake Mayfield, and I'm here today with Jesse Adams. He is the co-owner of the Reading Drag Strip, located right here at home in Reading, California. Jesse, how are you today? Oh, I'm great today. We had a great event this past weekend. We had the street legal drags. It's so hot out right now. You know, nobody wants to be outside during the day. So we uh, did a midnight mayhem race. We ran from 9 p.m. to 2 a.m., and it was a blast. We packed the house. That sounds awesome. Midnight Mayhem is the name of that? Yep. Do you guys do that often? This is the second one we've done as far as the Midnight Mayhem stuff goes. We've done street three other street legals earlier this year. We're probably going to add one because it's it's gotten so popular. So uh, a lot of young faces out there, a lot of high school kids, a lot of college kids. It's really good because that's one thing that the sport is missing is, is new blood. That's what drag racing really needs is they need the young new blood to continue feeding and keep coming to the racetracks. So that way uh, tracks can stay open and we got people to race with. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we're going to tackle a whole bunch of stuff here in a little bit but first i do want to give a special shout out and thank you to all the spotify soundcloud and apple podcast listeners thank you guys very much for tuning in i appreciate it and last but not least i want to give a special shout out and thank you to our sponsors black rose coffee and tea rebel fit company and spring gulch farms and now a word from black rose this episode of the blake mayfield podcast is brought to you by black rose coffee and tea Are you starting a brand new diet and want something organic and delicious? Want to support a locally owned and operated family business? Have you ever tried peanut butter in your coffee? Well, if you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should try out Black Rose Coffee and Tea. At Black Rose Coffee and Tea, you'll find all sorts of pairings you won't find anywhere else, such as the white chocolate and peanut butter blend called the Ecstasy, organic on-tap kombucha, and the chance to make your furry best friend Instagram famous through their at dogs of Black Rose page. Visit Black Rose Coffee and Tea at 9539 Old Oregon Trail in Redding, California, open seven days a week. Bring the kids, dogs, or whoever you hold near and dear to you, and rethink the way you coffee today. And without further ado, let's get into it. So, again, Jesse, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. A lot of stuff to get to. I figure we could start here, though. You're wearing the TNA Race Club shirt. You guys have a big event coming up in a couple weeks. I kind of just want to start. I'm not someone that's really familiar with racing at all. This is going to be a learning experience for me as well. Um, but you're wearing the TNA Race Club, and I, and I asked during the, the break, and it stands for uh, Trimp and Adams Race Club. And Tony Trimp is a co-owner of the drag strip along with you. Um, so how would you guys kind of get into business together, and, and, and why did you guys want to get into business together and start this race club? So Tony's father-in-law, Dave Smith, has owned Sacramento Raceway for 51 one years and I've been racing at SAC Raceway since well I'm a third generation drag racer so I've been going to SAC Raceway since I was very very little uh Tony and I've been friends for about 25 years now and we've raced together gone to different tracks traveled the country gone all over the place together well when COVID came most of the racetracks in the state are either owned by state uh fairgrounds or state properties or Indian tribes SAC Raceway is the only one that is fully private. So all the racetracks closed down. I was actually fishing with my son when school shut down as well, right? And I put a kind of joke on social media that said, 
um, I was getting really fed up with people's attitudes on social media as far as everything that was going on with the whole coronavirus and pandemic and everything shutting down and nobody can agree on anything. And I didn't care what opinions really were. I just got tired of seeing them. So I put a post out and said, hey, we've Tony and I put on a 32-car private shootout at SAC Raceway next week. And uh, if you weren't invited, I'm tired of your politics on Facebook. And my mm. phone blew up. It was just a joke. My phone went crazy. <laughs> so I called Tony and I said, hey, I threw this joke out there on Facebook. I don't know if you saw it or not. And he says, yeah, I saw it. That's pretty funny. And I said, my phone won't stop. I think we should look into it. So we decided, let's call the CDC. Let's call the county. Let's call the sheriff's office. We called everybody there was to call. And they said, well, that's private property. If you guys want to put an event on and lock the gates behind you, we really can't do much about it. So our very first race that we did, we had to come up with a name. And we came up with the Trimp and Adams Race Club. It's kind of a private deal. We did 32 cars. We spread everybody out in the pits. It's an outdoor situation. We took care of business and had a really, really good race. And then people said, when's the next one? When's the next one? When's the next one? All the racetracks in the state were closed for a year. I mean, we thrived. We put race on, race after race after race on and never had any issues. Um, law enforcement came out one time to hang out. That's cool. So it That's was, cool. It was like. Hey, if we can do this outdoors and safely and give people a chance to race and do what they want to do, why wouldn't we? So that's where TNA Race Club started. Um, we actually came up here in, so in the street racing world, the, the hot spots for street racing, which I don't really condone or advocate street racing, but the hot spots they call Mexico. Because they just want, that's the secret location. Everybody's going to go to Mexico, they're going to race on the streets and they get it done and everybody goes home. So we called our Sacramento race Mexico. Then in April, I believe it was, of 2020, we wanted to venture out a little bit. And it was before things really got kicked off hard as far as shutdowns and lockdowns. So we called up the then owners of Reading Drag Strip, said, can we rent the track? We want to do a Canada race. So we called this one Canada and kind of kept it on the down low. We put a limited car count race together. And uh, what a blast. We had a great time racing up here. And I've raced at Reading for years. I've been up here as a kid. And, and many, many times I've raced up in this racetrack. Well, fast forward to end of 2021, the previous owners, they had had the track for nine years. And they were ready to just kind of move on with something else. So they've got a real estate business, a few other businesses. They were ready to move on. So I get a phone call and previous owner says, we want out. If you and Tony are interested in taking over Reading Drag Strip, you have to buy the equipment from us and so on and so forth. And I, I told her, I said, I don't even think I need to call Tony, but let me call him real quick. And five minutes later, I was calling her back and I told her, hey, Shirlene, we want to do it. So that's what we did. We made a deal with her. We purchased the equipment. We met and sat down with the city. We changed the board members out. So I'm now president, Tony's vice president. We've got a few more board members on and. That's how we took over Reading Drag Strip. Wow. So it all started from you getting tired of people's posts on Facebook. It was literally everything. <laughs> it's no joke either. It's it's I'm completely serious. I made one joke post on Facebook, and when my phone blew up, I knew I had an idea, and I took it, and we ran with it. That's awesome. I love that. I love that so much. So I want to ask you about this. Uh, you brought in some flyers. Um, you guys have the famous fox hunt coming up um, September 2nd and 3rd, Labor Day weekend, out at the Reading Drag Strip. And this is, I don't want to say the main reason you're here today because there's a, a lot of things we want to get to, but this was one of the things you wanted to, to hit on. Um, what's the famous fox hunt all about? So at Sac Raceway, we'll get back to there. See, my 
a lot of my history in drag racing comes from growing up at Sac Raceway. And, okay. And Tony's wife, her father owns the track uh, there in Sacramento. And so they've done track operations for over 30 years. Uh, Dave, has, Dave Smith has owned the track for 51 years. And I've been racing there for almost 30 years. And when we took over, Dave Smith actually came up and raced Cool April Drags with his top fuel car. And... He get, he's giving us tons of support. He says, hey, I love what you guys are doing with the place, you know, and he's, he's an older man. He's like 82 years old now. Um, and he says, what you guys are doing is good. I'd like to let you guys use the Fox Hunt name. So years ago, I think it's been about eight years since they've run a Fox Hunt event at Sacramento. But for decades, the Fox Hunt was one of the feature events of the year for Sacramento Raceway. And Dave says, I'd like to get that name back out there. If you guys would like to take it over, you guys can have it. And that's kind of a big deal because – Track ownership and 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 naming rights and that type of stuff is um how do you put it? There's a lot of reputation on events and event names, and for him to kind of relinquish that to us, so we can put on a fun event like that up here with a name that everybody's known for for decades, it's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. So before this whole. You know, everyone hanging you up the, the one day you, you make the joke and whatnot. Just kind of going back to that. Did you ever have any ownership at any other drag strips? Was it, was it ever anything you wanted to to do was have a race club, or did it just happen spur of the moment? Uh, personally, on my end, I was racing a lot. Like in 2015, 2016, I was out racing 36, 40 weekends a year. That doesn't mean I was necessarily at a racetrack the entire weekend, but 36 to 40 weekends a year, I would be at a track at least one day. So I was out racing myself, driving for, for car owners and driving my own equipment uh, all over the country for a few years. And it was a great time, and I miss actually driving. I don't get to drive nearly as much anymore now that I'm in this role. But I've been able to look at the way things have been done across the country and around the world, for that matter. I, I went to Australia in 2019 and raced there. And... Um, mm. There's always been that thing where I think, well, okay, this track does this really good, but I think they could improve here. And this track does this, this, this really good, but I think I could improve here, here, and here. And then there's the other scenario of this track's terrible, you know? And yeah. we didn't get any of that um, here in California that we, we just, we try to support racetracks, whether they're great or we think they're not great. And it's because there's so few of them. Um, you go to the Midwest, you can live in parts of Tennessee and Kentucky, and you can drive 30 minutes from your house and run into five racetracks. And you change that radius to three or four hours, you might be 18, 20 racetracks in a, in a three-hour radius of your house if you live in some of those Midwest areas. In California, I believe, see, there's Barona, Famoso, Irwindale, uh, Redding, Sacramento, Samoa, and Sonoma. So there's only about six or seven racetracks in all of California. Wow. So as racers, we need to try to support every one of them. So when I hear racers talk negatively about a racetrack in California, it says, you know, it's it's a difficult climate, not climate, the weather climate's perfect for racing, but it's a difficult area to put on a really good show. There's so many things to do in California that uh, people get distracted. They know the racetrack's there, but they're going to go somewhere else and do something else. You really have to promote heavy and you got to get your racers behind you. And when you tell the racer, hey, we're going to do this for the betterment of you guys. We're going to improve the track surface. We're going to improve the pit area. We're going to do this, that, and so on. That brings more racers. Usually more racers will bring more excitement. More excitement brings more crowd. Ultimately, what we are is an entertainment company, an entertainment business. Now, on the, on the racing side of it, we 
try to keep our entry fees as low as we can and affordable for the racers. But we also want to have huge payouts and good payouts to where when they're coming out and beating up their race equipment and spending their hard-earned money that they make at their job that they may not like and they may not like their boss and so on, that they come out and they, they get that stress relief at our racetrack. And that's kind of the goal of how I try to run things. Um, some racetracks have lost sight of that, and it's all business all the time. And from the racer's perspective, that kind of wears people out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a good role. Tony and Jennifer, they're my partners, Tony and Jennifer Trimp. Um, they have the business side of things down really well. Like there's so much that happens behind the scenes that nobody sees, even stuff that I don't see, that they have that they have that stuff just nailed down after 30 years plus of experience with it. And uh, on the racer's end of it, I have a very good personal touch and personal relationships with plenty of these racers to know like if they've got a problem with something, they can come to me right now. We can take care of it. We can make adjustments to where when these racers show up, they get the experience out that they want at the racetrack. And then, you know, that's, that's what put on a big show is all about as well, like the Fox hunt. So in Sacramento years ago in the eighties and nineties, the Fox hunt always had a wet t-shirt contest. But they also had an area where it could be kind of closed off and you could check IDs and there was a beer garden there and there was a spot where you could do that wet t-shirt contest and get away with it to where only the right audience could see it, right? <laughs> well, and I remember sneaking in as a kid, you know, but um, of course we can't quite get away with that up here at Reading because everything we've got is wide open right in the middle. So we are going to do a bikini contest. The bikini contest is is kind of like the, the one of the feature parts of the fox hunt. And uh, what What day is that one? September 3rd. Okay, that's going to be the Saturday. Yeah, okay. we're going to do that Saturday in the evening. Gotcha. Got, getting hmm. to the fox hunt specifically, we're actually hiring in some of this uh, Street Outlaws Discovery Channel no prep Kings racers. We're bringing in Dean Carnes with the stinky pinky Cadillac and Jay Bodie with the corrupt Camaro. They're going to be racing no prep Kings up in Boise, Idaho next weekend. And they're going to leave Boise and come straight down here to Reading. I mean, these guys are two of the, the big names on the Discovery Channel No Prep King show. So for them to leave Boise and come down and spend a weekend here in Reading, it's going to be huge. You know, years ago they brought uh, Asian and Farm Truck and then Doc and Monza. Anybody who knows the shows knows those names. Um, they brought those guys in and packed the house. Now we're going to bring these guys in to do some real hardcore grudge racing at a big event, and uh, we hope to pack the house as well. I think the payouts are going to be pretty nice that weekend. Oh, they're going to be awesome. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, I mean, let's talk more about this. So you guys are getting um, Jay, Jay Bodie. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. I'm sorry. Jay Bodie. And then who was the other one? Disco Dean Carnes. Disco Dean Carnes. Okay. And you guys are having them come for the famous fox hunt. Um, and they are on Discovery Channel. And how do you even get a hold of people like this? I mean, we talked a little bit before we hopped on the air about what you were going to do this week to kind of prep for, but how do you even reach out to these people and kind of get a hold of them and, and, and pique their interest in something like this? So I'll start with Disco Dean. His name is Dean Carnes, but everybody in the racing industry knows him as Disco Dean or Stinky Pinky. Um, before any of the Discovery Channels, he was a bracket racer like me. So I would go across the country and I raced with him uh, in, in Ohio, in Kentucky, Tennessee, and I've raced him with him and known him for years. So I've been really good friends with Dean Carnes for about 12, 15 years. And the beauty about Dean is he could talk trash with the best of them. So he's perfect. He's a perfect TV personality. He can go on the TV show and just, he's quick witted. 
He's fast. He can talk trash right back. Somebody gives him a smart-ass remark, he can hit back quick, just as quick as anybody. And uh, some people are turned off by that, but they don't understand that Dean is literally one of the best human beings I've ever met. He's such a nice person. He's got a great family. Um, and, and that's why, you know, him and I, we're such good friends, and we have been for a long time. So when I knew that we were going to have an opportunity for the No Prep Kings guys to be able to have a week in between their races in Boise and Tucson, I, re I reached out to him first, and I said, Hey, Dean, what do you think about coming in and helping me out and getting, getting us some more traction with our new track and what we've done? And he's, he was all about it. So, you know, there, there, there's some paid appearances, so we have to pay them to come in. Um, they are part of the entertainment. And then Bodie, Bodie he, uh, he's from the Bay Area. In, here in California, and he's been longtime, big-time street racer. But he's also transitioned more to track stuff. And I've known Bodie for probably six years. Uh, four or five years ago, we did a, a TV show build-off down in Southern California. We were on separate teams and got to know him pretty good there. We, we took those cars that we built to Ohio, and we raced those cars in Ohio and got to hang out with him a bunch um, at the track back there. And he's put on races at Sacramento Raceway where he does track rentals, and he puts them on at Sac Raceway. He just had one a few weeks ago, and it was blazing hot, but it was a good event. And uh, he's got a really good reputation and a really big social media following and a, and a good following across the country. Both of these guys do. So they're, they're big names, and the fact that they're coming to Little Red in California is, is pretty huge. You know, it's Discovery Channel does not put on any full events in California right now. So one of the reasons that I'm going to Boise next weekend is to talk to the producers and tell them, like, you guys are really missing out. This is the place that you need to be. This community, it's it's amazing how much that they are um, in favor of cars and car clubs. They're a huge automotive community here in Reading, and Discovery Channel coming here would be massive. So we're going to test the waters with these guys, and they're going to put on a show. That's awesome. I love that. And then you also want to talk about the, the West Coast Outlaws. Um, this is all happening Saturday night only. Um, small tire, um, real steel nostalgia. What's up with all that? Are those all the sponsors, other racers? So, well, technically it's a two, it is a two-day event. So we have a test and tune, which is more racer-based, on Friday from 12 to 5, from noon to 5 p.m. And, you know, most people are still at work on Friday, so we don't have to worry about um, spectators so much in that early part of the day. However, Friday night is when it gets a lot of fun. We have an autograph session with Disco Dean and Jay Bodie from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. They'll be parked behind the tower. Easy access spot for fans to come in. They can line up. Hopefully, we're lining up hundreds of people deep, signing T-shirts, uh, getting autographs signed. So that's, that's what really kicks off Friday is the test and tune from 1 to 5. And then all of our categories that are actually racing. We've got West Coast Outlaws. Uh, we've got a small tire category. We've got a 5.0 index category, the TNA $5,000 to win bracket race, real steel nostalgia category, and junior dragsters. Um, all of those categories are, are, for the most part, sportsman categories. West Coast Outlaws, they're the quickest cars that we'll see there at the track that weekend. Uh, they're a no-time category. It's grudge racing. So if, if any of the cars are really fast and some of the other guys are not as fast, it kind of scares the guys that aren't as fast away from racing if they know they're not as fast. So we leave the scoreboards off, and it really kind of doesn't even the playing field. Everybody's running the same racetrack, but it kind of takes that, that, that edge off. You know, if you know you're bringing a knife to a gunfight, you are not going to show up. But if you really don't know what, 
what anybody's got, you might still show up. Right. And that's how West Coast Outlaws works. And it works really well. And the fastest car doesn't always win. There's a lot of factors in drag racing, temperature, uh, track conditions, tuning, everything that, that, that kind of encapsulates into having a good program. Anybody can win this race. So the West Coast Outlaws, they fly. I mean, there's, there's some of them that are over 200-mile-an-hour cars in the eighth of a mile. Wow. Um, and then uh, the small tire category, that's kind of the same thing. It's a no-time deal. Uh, one, of our, one of our guys out at the track, Tyler Hanna, has been helping out, and he's really been putting some stuff together with the small tire category. And uh, instead of having the big, fat slicks like you'll see on the, on the West Coast Outlaws, They've got a lot smaller tire. The cars mimic and look a little bit more like street cars. They're very fast. And uh, that's another one where there's no time on the boards and guys show up and two go down, one come back. That's awesome. I love it. This sounds like it's going to be a, an awesome event. I mean, I'll look at all the stuff on Saturday and, and it looks like it kicks off. So 10 a.m., come in and at noon there's qualifying 3 p.m. is eliminations this is all foreign to me so what does stuff like that mean if i'm a spectator my first time coming out i hear sure discovery channel is going to be there what is the the qualifying and the eliminations and then all that stuff after that so when qualifying starts everybody gets to make test passes so you don't just have to roll your car out of the race out of your trailer and go up and race right off the bat so you can go up and you make a couple test runs Making test runs helps you get tuning correct, helps you know exactly where, um, how good the track is. You know, if the track's really hot or for some reason the track prep isn't so good, then guys will go detune their cars to make sure they can get down because you want to get down the track nice and smooth and safe every time. If the track is extremely good, guys know they can come back and they can hop their tune-ups up and give it every throw everything and the kitchen sink at it to make their car go as fast as possible. So, and also... Part of qualifying is to just kind of lengthen the event. You don't want to have, you know, three, 4,000 people come out and you run a bunch of cars down in an hour and a half or two hours, you're done. So you come out and you get to, the people get to hear the, uh, hear the sound, see the sights, see the smoky burnout, see the backup girls. Um, there's, there's plenty of things people get to do to stay entertained while we're running cars. And uh, it's just part of making the event a big, long, 10-hour complete event that, that, People get to see a lot of cars go down the track. That's what they come to pay for. So we don't want to rush it. And qualifying is, it's a its a double-ended deal. It's one of it is so guys can get their cars tuned properly. And it also gets the show started. So we'll run qualifying for a few hours um, starting around noon. And then sometime around 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, it might be 5 o'clock. It all depends. we It's really hard to set a perfect schedule to drag racing. But then we'll start with the national anthem and we're shooting for like 5 p.m. for the national anthem. And then Jay Bodie and Disco Neen are going to kick off all of our eliminations. And they're going to kick it off with a grudge race first out. After they okay. run their grudge race, then we'll get into West Coast Outlaws first, first round. And we'll have like 16 cars in West Coast Outlaws. So that'll be four rounds of competition throughout the night. And that's because if you think of it as some people that don't know racing, they often do know sports and they do know how tournaments work. So if you, if you see a ladder on a tournament and you've got eight pairs of teams, we have eight pairs of cars, um, that's 16 cars. One gets eliminated and moves on to the next round. And then down below that one gets eliminated, moves on to the next round. And then those two winners in the next round race each other. And it's just a tournament type thing. You know, we, we call it eliminations. It's the same thing as, as the, the ladder of a tournament, like a NCAA March, uh, March Madness, you know what I mean? So gotcha. it just starts from uh, however many cars you start with, whittles it way down to one champion. 
Okay. Is this the uh, the TNA bracket uh, race you were wanting to touch on as well, or is that something different? Well, the bracket race, we have a TNA race club format bracket race program, and there's anybody can come out and race that. You can come out in a Honda Civic. You can come out in a Lamborghini. You can bring a Corvette out. You can bring a full-blown race car. The bracket race, bracket racing is a huge equalizer, and it was developed in the 60s and 70s where – there was a lot of guys getting tired of the fact that if you don't have all the best equipment and you don't have the most money to spend and you don't have the best help or crew, um, it took the the wallet out of the equation. So with a bracket race, it's a handicap start and you're partially racing the car in the other lane and you're partially racing the clock. But if my car goes 10 seconds and your car goes 8 seconds, we call it dialing them in. You write that number on your window, and everybody does it for the category, and you can change round to round. But in the very simplest of terms, if you have an eight-second car and I have a 10-second car, you're going to get – or I'm sorry, I'm the slower car. I'm going to get a two-second head start. And that's how we equalize that, to where the slower car gets a head start based on the difference of how much slower it is. And, you know, I can talk about this for hours. We can do it in the, in the most simplest of terms, or I can get into full-blown detail that lasts me six hours. This is what I live, eat, and breathe is drag racing. So, um, But what the bracket race is, and a lot of people don't quite understand that sometimes, is simply the slower car gets a handicapped start. They get an advantage by the difference of how much slower they are, and that's how that race plays out. Now, that race, um, it's a $5,000 purse. So we're going to have like probably 64 cars for that one. That'll be a six-round race. And once they get later into the rounds where there's maybe eight cars left, guys got to start saying, well, what are we going to do with this 5000 bucks?" You look into uh, the West Coast Outlaws and the small tire categories. Those grudge-style categories are all about put all the money in the final round. You might win three out of four rounds and not make a dollar. But in bracket racing, everybody's pretty generous to kick some money down. So they might get down to eight cars and say, four of us are going to lose right now. So we've got $5,000 to deal with. Let's take 1000 off of that 5000 If you lose right now, you get 250 So those four losers will get 250 bucks. The other four guys move on, and now two of them are going to lose the following round, and there's 4000 bucks sitting there, right? So they might pull some more money off the top and, and pay those losers out. And then at the end, the final round, when there's two cars side by side, there might be $3,000 left to win. Um, one guy might say, well, let's just do 2000 to win, 1000 to runner-up. Bracket racing is more of a, it's a little bit more on the, the gentleman's side of things. The racing itself is very cutthroat, but everybody is there to be pretty fair with the way the money and the payouts roll. Um, West Coast Outlaws, Small Tire, a lot of these other grudge-style categories, they're cutthroat with everything. They're cutthroat with their tune-ups, they're cutthroat on the racetrack, and they're cutthroat with the, mo- cutthroat with the money. They want to take it all the way to the final round, and the guy that wins wants it all. It's more of a kind of a street racing style of things. But that's what's so fun about drag racing. There's a little bit for everyone. You can you can really um, put a program together that will cater to five, six, seven different styles of racing all in one event. Yeah. I was going to say, I didn't even, I mean, looking at this, I, I wouldn't know what any of that stuff would be unless I were to ask you about it. So, sure. Yeah, that's awesome stuff. So street racing, uh, you bring up Sonoma Raceway and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Are, are you a NASCAR fan? Is NASCAR in the car? Are you more so Well, you like drag races? I like anything and everything automotive. I mean, that's okay. where I can't look down on any type of automotive sport, especially uh, competition, because I love competition. But um, 
I can't knock one sport and hope to boost the other one up because collectively as a group, automotive racing is, is important to keep around. And some of the political environment and, 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 and climate stuff that we're dealing with and some of the fights and the battles that come to that are really tough on us in the automotive industry right now, especially in the racing industry. I'm kind of surprised that, I don't even know if I should bring it up, but I'm kind of surprised that there hasn't been a little bit more government overreach and things into some of the racing just because it seems like that's what they like to do to us. But um, street cars, you know, getting aftermarket parts for street cars and smog laws and that stuff is getting really, really tight. But they've pretty much left um, aftermarket parts for racing alone, you know, off the street use because really we're such a small percentage of what cars are out there in the in in the environment anyway. But um, yeah, I, I I'm not a big NASCAR fan as far as I don't follow it a whole lot. I used to follow it. I followed it a whole lot more back in the Dale Earnhardt days when I was a kid. Now um, I don't have time. Everything I do right now, every every waking moment has to do with Reading Drag Strip, it seems like. Yeah. I mean, that makes the most sense, you know, and, and getting busy and whatnot with this thing. And, and you guys are doing a great job. I mean, I'd, I'd love the flyer. I'll, I'll just tell, I'll tell that to you. I love it. Just the colors and then just the way you guys did it. Like, it's, I like it a lot. That was, so, that was designed by a local photographer here. She does a lot of design work for us. Who's Heather, that? Heather Nichols. Okay. So she's a photographer here in Reading, and she does a lot of design and artwork, and she does a great job. I mean, the way that her flyers turn out, um, everybody seems to love them. You know, uh, my business partner, Tony, his wife, Jennifer, she does flyers and she does um, some other tickets and other stuff too. So we've got, and she does a great job designing those. She's been doing that for a very long time. So we've got really good people and a really good small group of people that really work hard on all this stuff for us. We can farm this stuff out, but there's no reason to. We've got a lot of really good local talent that like to be a part of what we're doing. And, um, you know, getting back to asking about NASCAR and stuff, we have slightly rebranded the property. Technically, it is still Reading Drag Strip, but we've kind of rebranded it as Trimp and Adams Reading Motorsports Park. There's five different forms of motorsports that happen at the racetrack out there. We've got drag racing. We built a drift pit and skid pad right next to the drag strip. Um, Stillwater Motocross operates on that property, as well as Shasta Kart Club and Shasta Supermoto. So we've got five different types of motorsports that all happen on that property. Um, we don't have control of Supermoto or the Kart Club or Motocross, but we want to make sure everybody knows that those guys operate out there. You know, it's a, it's important. It's a group of five different um, racing entities all on one property, and we're all important. You know, it's not one of those things where, well, the drag strip takes precedent over everything. No, we need to support all five of these types of motorsports because that's what keeps people coming out there and that's what keeps their sport alive. Just because they're not drag racers doesn't mean that they shouldn't support the drag race part of things. And that works with us the same way. I mean, when uh, when Dusty over at Stillwater Motocross has 500 bikes out there on a Saturday, I mean, I couldn't be happier. I love it when he's got so many bikes out there. It just really makes you realize how, how many people are still into motorsports and that's where they want to be. And, and they're coming out and... and uh, um, just having fun. It's a great family atmosphere. The racetrack, the drag strip is a great family atmosphere. We've got the junior dragster program where kids can start as young as five years old, all the way up to 17 years old. They drive half scale uh, dragsters and the kids is what is going to keep racing going for the next generations to come. You know, the, some people think the junior dragsters are extremely annoying the way they sound. Um, they're pretty loud and they take a little bit more time to run than the big cars. 
but we just have to be patient and realize like you can't run these kids off because these kids are the future of racing. Just like when you see the, the mini bikes and the kids over the motocross track, five-year-old kids racing motocross. Yeah. It's kind of like herding cats sometimes, but it's okay. Cause they're, they're, they're going to grow up and they're going to keep the sport alive. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to ask you about this. So what sponsors are going to be sponsoring you guys? It looks like you have maybe crown motors, um, uh, West coast outlaws racing series. looks like it's prone, uh, sponsoring you guys. Well, we've got, um, we've got, um, who else is a part of this? We've got too many sponsors to just name right now. It would be, it would sound like a, okay. a, a crazy list of, of sponsors, but some of our really big ones is Napa auto parts. Napa is locally owned. There's eight stores and, uh, they do a really good job of, of, promoting the racetrack and putting flyers out there and distributing free tickets and discount tickets. Like for this particular race, each DAP Autosports locally has, I believe, 30 free passes for the females. So women can go into NAP Auto Parts and get their passes while they last. And then we've also got 100 discount tickets at each Napa store. So 800 discount tickets at Napa stores locally here in Reading, Anderson, and Red Bluff. Um, Crown Motors, big supporter of what we do. Crown Motors, they put in uh, a lot of money every year to help support uh, especially the the street legal program. And we're a 501c3 nonprofit. And one of the reasons we're a nonprofit is we do support a youth automotive program. Any high schooler that wants to come out on a street legal event, they can pay their $10 admission at the gate, and they get their $25 racing tech card comped to them for free with student ID. So it's a whole... The whole concept is to keep these students from going street racing and going doing exhibition at speeds and donuts. And one huge thing you see right now, and it's why we put the burnout and the drift pit in, is you see these takeovers and sideshows in the big cities, and they're just completely unacceptable. Now we've got a place where kids can come out and do donuts and do and do you know some drifting and skids and burnouts in a place where it's built to be done. And and so. Uh, Crown Motors, they're one of the big sponsors of, of the street legal side of things, as well as Wolfgang. Wolfgang International is actually right across the street from where we're recording this. Mm-hmm. West Coast Architectural Sheet Metal, they sponsor our ET Bracket Series. So we have a point series that's smaller events, but all of the local racers come out and they race for points, about 10 events per year. West Coast Architectural Sheet Metal, they cover the payouts for that Um the trophies, we don't do standard trophies. We do big Happy Gilmore checks. The racers really seem to like those. They don't take up as much room on a shelf. You can put them on the trailer or the garage wall, and they're really popular. So awesome. West, West Coast ASM, they cover that. West Coast Outlaws, uh, Troy Baugh, he runs that group. And while it's not really a sponsorship from West Coast Outlaws, what we do is we have a really good partnership. Uh, we provide the facility. He provides the racers. And yeah. we put a really good show on with the West Coast Outlaws. That's awesome. I love that. So, okay, you bring up the the takeovers happening in the big cities and whatnot. I was wondering if you've seen this video. So the other day I was watching something happened in Los Angeles a couple weeks ago. You know, big, um, I, I forget the term you were saying, but doing donuts in the middle of the streets. They, they pretty much call those sideshows. Okay, there we go, sideshows. A sideshow was going on, and some people saw this as an opportunity to go rob a 7-Eleven. And when I say some people, I mean like a 100 people, like – there was surveillance footage. I don't know if you've seen it, but... I read the story this morning. It's crazy. These people, like, tearing down these shelves, stealing lotto tickets, cigarettes, just dumb stuff. You know, stuff that's like, I don't know, I would not risk my freedom for 7-Eleven. Um, but I just thought it was really interesting. And then you kind of see how that blame gets shifted from the people doing the crime to the sideshow and the racing. Do you think racing gets a bad rap? I'm not going to say in America, but gets a bad rap because you bring up California emissions. There's only so many racetracks. Like, do you think in a way there's this stigma 
around what you guys do, unfortunately, because of events like what we saw a couple well, weeks ago in L.A.? There absolutely is, but a huge part of it, and I, I hate to just blame the media, but the huge part of it is lack of information in the media. You might see somebody out street racing and crash into somebody, and somebody gets hurt or killed or injured or something out on the street. Nine times out of ten, for some reason, the TV stations and the news, when they, when they announce that, they don't say two people killed while illegal street racing happening on such and such county road. They say drag racing killed two people on such and such county road. There's a huge difference between sanctioned and organized drag racing and street racing. Now, I know a lot of street racers, and I don't mean disrespect to them by saying that, but they do give drag racing a really bad rap, and a huge part of it is because, unfortunately, the media does not call illegal street racing what it is. It needs to be called illegal street racing. Drag racing happens at a sanctioned track, at a, at a, at a sanctioned event, where we take all the precautions of having EMTs, safety crews, a full staff, Everybody's there to make sure that the, the event can happen as safe as possible. If there is an accident, we can respond to that as we need. But it's drag racing is a whole lot different than street racing. And that bad rap could be fixed really quickly by by the media, to be honest. Okay. Are you a big Fast and Furious guy? I got to ask. I'm not. You're not. Okay. I mean. Is it not realistic? Because I like the movies, but I have no idea how the stuff really works. Is it not realistic? Or? Well, I think I think I, if I had to look at any of them, I think the first one was probably the best one. Um, and, and it goes right back to what I said earlier. I can't knock the movies because look how many tens of thousands of young people love them and are absolutely all about them. And they want to to get a car and and, and uh, buy performance parts and do do things to their car to make it just faster, lower, look better, go to car shows. I mean, anything that we can do to keep car clubs and racetracks and racing and competition and car shows intact, that's what we need to do. So while I don't watch those movies with with um, a whole lot of seriousness or intent into watching them, <laughs> I still can't knock them because they're, they're, they're part of the big picture for me. Yeah. For sure. I, I totally understand that. Let's take a break real quick. When we come back, I want to talk about the new track surface. You guys have new K-rail guardrails, a new uh, asphalt pit, all sorts of stuff. I want to get into that, but we got to pay some bills. We'll be right back. This episode of the Blake Mayfield Podcast is brought to you by Rebel Fit Company. At Rebel Fit, you'll find state-of-the-art gym equipment, a dry sauna, and the one and only posing room nicknamed the Ego Room. Rebel Fit also offers classes for those interested in kickboxing, has a PS5 to use once you're done with your workout and just want to chill, and a podcast room where you can record your journey, whether it be weight loss or life. Visit Rebel Fit Company at 161 Locust Street off of Athens Avenue in Reading. No contracts, no hidden fees, and a chance to transform your health. Come in and sign up today. This episode of the Blake Mayfield Podcast is brought to you by Spring Gulch Farms. If you're sensitive to certain food but still have that sweet tooth, Spring Gulch Farms has you covered with their dairy-free, soy-free, and gluten-free treats. Whether it's the delicious peanut butter bars with oats, brownies made with lots of TLC and no gluten or dairy, or their limited-time, brand-new, gluten-free, dairy-free chocolate crackle cookies, Spring Gulch Farms has you covered. Follow Spring Gulch Farms on Instagram and Facebook to get the latest updates and stop into Black Rose Coffee and Tea in Reading, Cafe Calico in Anderson, or Country Market in Happy Valley and try one of these delicious snacks today. You won't be anything less than satisfied. All right, guys, and we are back. So, Jesse, I want to get into this with you. Apparently, did not know this until I, I was talking to you about it, the uh, drag strip. Before you guys put the new surface on, I want to talk about the new track surface you guys just did earlier this spring. Um, the track is a World World War II era 
drag strip? I did not know that. It's from the 40s? Well, so it became an NHRA-sanctioned track in 1953. It is the longest operating NHRA-sanctioned track there is. Now, there's other racetracks that have been around longer than Reading Drag Strip. But Reading Drag Strip has held its NHRA sanction longer than any other track in the world. And it's kind of a really cool piece of history uh, to be right here in Reading and have that have that uh, that brand on them, you know. But it is. It's a World War II facility. It was used to be a bomber taxiway. There used to be three bomb loading pits right next to where the racetrack itself is, and they would bring bombers over the top of them, load bombers into the planes, and they would take off at the airport and go. Gotcha. Okay. That's interesting stuff. So I want to get into the track surface. So obviously it, it maybe had, had been a little while. You guys are doing a bunch of events. You kind of want to, uh, kind of like we were talking about with TNA Race Club, it, it's a rebrand, you know, sure. uh, if anything. How much did that cost? What went into that? And how long did that process take for you guys to, to fully coat it and get all this new stuff in there that you wanted? Well, the main thing about needing a new track surface and safety improvements and pit improvements was the actual surface was starting to, ter- to deteriorate pretty bad. And there was some bumps in the track, and it was really hard to keep it prepped as good as, as some of the high-caliber cars of today need. Now, if you go back 30 years... Um, one, the track surface was in better shape then. Cars were making a whole lot less horsepower back then than they are now. And what was happening was a lot of the cars that would really like to race here and that we're seeing racing here now said, hey, I can't get my fast car down that track surface. So they weren't racing in Reading. When we took over, it was our goal to make the race surface as best as we possibly can. Because with that, we bring in the higher caliber racers and, the, and some of the bigger name racers. I mean, I appreciate every single racer we have. I don't care if they've got $2 million or $2. I appreciate every one. But the fact is, as an, entertain, as an entertainment business, we need to bring spectators in. And the way to bring spectators in is to bring higher caliber cars, faster, flashier, bigger names, things that everybody from the outside looking in as spectators want to come see. Like, they want, I want them to say, Oh my God, the guys from Discovery Channel are coming. Disco Dean's coming. I got to be there for that. That wouldn't happen if the track surface kind of remained what it was. So when we took it over, the the idea was we can run it status quo and keep our local racers racing and keep the track open, or we could just flat go all in and do everything we could to make it as good as can be. So one of the local concrete companies here, really big one, they asked, uh, they've asked, Plenty of times you guys don't need, and I, frankly, I think they might not want us to, to mention them too much, but one of the little, big concrete companies here, they donated, um, I got to give them a little bit of credit, but JF Sure. JF Shea, they donated. Oh, yeah, shout out JF Shea. Yeah, they donated almost 5,000 feet of concrete K-rail to the racetrack. And now, before, we had steel Armco guardrails. Steel Armco guardrails on racetracks are pretty dangerous. They They... That steel can cut through a race car like a hot knife through butter. And um, putting the concrete K-rails in is like the biggest safety improvement you can ever imagine at a racetrack. So we did that first. And then we had Brian Kaminsky owns Ward's Concrete. He came in and he brought in the Cement Institute. And they pretty much did a little case study on how they could improve the track surface based on what we need, what we had there and what we needed to do. We thought we would have to demo a lot of that track surface. They came in and said, look, this asphalt and this existing concrete has been here for decades. If you tear all that out, for one, it was going to be an astronomical price. But if we tore it 
all of that out and then go back in and put fill dirt and rock and compaction and then pour all new concrete over that, um, over that dirt and compacted surface, it's going to still move around and settle for years and years and years to come, which is going to create more cracking and, and potentially difficult track surface to deal with. So when Brian came in, he says, I think we can do an overlay here and it'll save you guys tons and tons of money. So we ended up doing exactly that. We've got a, uh, a really uh, exotic concrete batch uh, mixture that was laid on the ground. It's three and a half to four inches thick for the entire racing surface. So guardrail to guardrail, we're 46 feet wide, and our concrete is 1,500 feet long. A quarter mile racing mm. surface is only 1,320 feet. So the entire track is, is smooth as glass concrete. And Ward's Concrete, they came out and did an amazing job. They poured it in three pours. Um, we had Darren Taylor Construction come out. They tied in because now we've got a three-and-a-half-inch step at the beginning of the racetrack. You know what I mean? So, okay. So they had to do a, a um, an asphalt addition to get from the ground from zero at one point up to that three-and-a-half inches. And then at the end of the racetrack, it's the same thing. Right now, the, the end of the track would have been three-and-a-half inches tall and then there's a drop-off. So they put asphalt for another 500 feet down the track. So we race on 1,320 feet. A lot of our races are eighth mile, which is 660 feet. But we've got over 2,000 feet of all brand-new surface there. So the um, surface preps really well. Fast cars that go down it. We actually had at the at, at Cool April Drags, we had Jim Murphy with a double-A nitro front-engine dragster set the all-time Reading Drag Strip speed record. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's that was, awesome. That was a good one. And then uh, Darren Taylor Construction also, they did uh, over three acres of asphalt work for us, which which was, I mean, that's we had a bunch of dirt pit areas. And guys are bringing out race cars that are $100,000, $300,000 race cars parked in dirt. Now it's all asphalt for them. Uh, the city and the airport, we had Jim Wadley and uh, uh, Chuck Auckland at the at the city, they have been phenomenal to work with. Uh, they pretty much leave us alone. I can communicate with them by text message and just check in every once in a while, make sure everything's good, and uh, we try to follow their rules the best we can. And with that, they're like, "Hey, if you guys want to keep improving the property, go for it." You know, it's city property; it's they they own it. Um, we're investing all of this money just because that's what it takes to put a really good facility together. So. Without getting into too many specific numbers, I mean, we spent about a half a million dollars in three months, and we really did it. That's probably a million dollars worth of work if we had to pay all the labor that really has to be paid uh, for something like that. But most of these companies donated all their labor to the cause. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it's just it's that amazing how awesome. the community stepped up to do that. We had a ply yeah. line come out, and they've changed their name now to uh, Specialty Pavement Systems. They came out, they marked our... our parking lot they put all the striping in the parking lot the um the striping in the middle of the racetrack technical steel they built the bridge over the racetrack i don't know if you've seen the racetrack uh but we put a bridge over the the starting line that has a bunch of sponsor signs up there uh like players pizza and anderson they okay. sponsor the left lane so on the scoreboard there's a big players pizza sign that gets backlit during night races on the right side hand side is fifth avenue body shop out of oroville california um Steve Ronenberg of SCR, uh, Platinum Construction, Les Schwab Tires and Anderson. All these companies have put in, and, and I name these ones, there's, there's countless. We probably got 60, 70 uh, companies that have sponsored us this year. Uh, Reed's Rod Shop, Specrite, Torque Converters, Apex Fence Company. 
these ones that I'm naming off right off the top um, have put in the most amount of money and, and just amazing amounts of money. And I, we couldn't, it's hard to ask for it, but when they see what we've done in such a short amount of time, they appreciate it so much as racers that they continue to back us. And that's, that's, it's really hard to get these days. Right. Absolutely. And I feel like that's something that, you know, I'm glad you guys kept it in Reading. And Reading doesn't get enough credit for that. I think us in the community, you know, we all help each other out and whatnot. But I mean, everything you just said was local company, local this person. I know that guy, you know, free labor. I mean, it's like, well, I mean, that's crazy to me. And and I think Reading has a, a really good knack and specialty for stuff like that. You know, we recognize, you know, yeah. stuff like drag strips, stuff like, um, you know, even needing new stuff, you know, or, or, or whatever it is, you know, Sundial Brick, you know, when there's events, People come out and, and, and support, and I think that stuff's really cool. I want to ask you about this. You have, we talked about um, a couple different things, the, the K-rail guardrails, but there's a, a new uh, as, uh, new pit asphalt, new asphalt pit. Do I have that backwards or? Well, it's an asphalt skid pad. And okay. you can call it a drift pit or a skid pad, skid pad or a burnout pit. But before, next to the left lane in front of the grandstands used to be all dirt. And I kind of came up with this idea. Part of it is when I went to Australia to race, Australia there, they do burnout shows that are unbelievable. Like the most craziest 3,000 horsepower cars that never see a racetrack. They just do burnouts and donuts. And it got me thinking, like, we've got this spot right here that we can do donuts and burnouts and let guys get out there and drift and do things that they would do in an intersection and, and hope to get away with. We then come out and do it in a controlled environment and have fun, right? Well, the other annoying part of drag racing sometimes you get oil downs you get somebody blows an engine up and oil goes on the racetrack and you have to clean that oil up every time a race car cannot go down the track with with oil water antifreeze anything like that on the track surface so you get these times of, of down uh these periods of downtime that the fans really dislike so if you have a car that blows an engine we use that drift pad. I've hired in the Dirty 530 drift team, and I've hired in the Antihero drift team from Sacramento. And as we go out and we're cleaning up an unfortunate oil down on the drag strip, rather than having people just sit there watching tractors go up and down the racetrack, um, we bring in entertainment. And these drift cars go out there. We've had as many as three at a time in this pit just doing figure eights and donuts and having fun. And you wouldn't believe how many cameras come out. We can be running drag race cars for two or three hours straight, have an oil down or need to do some track prep, bring the drift cars out in the pit, and everybody's camera phones pop out. And they're just, it's entertainment. We have to keep them. We, we want to, you know, we charge people to come in at the gate. So as we get their money at the gate, that's important. Now that we have to entertain them, they're going to buy a burger, they're going to buy a soda, they're going to buy some beers. That's great. We have to keep entertaining them. In order for us to be able to make enough money to keep the gates open and to keep more cars coming in and more shows happening, we need to be able to sell them that burger and that beer. And then they need to be entertained, have a great time, go buy a t-shirt, buy another burger, buy another beer, another soda and stay, you know, it's not fair for us to bring people and take their money at the gate and then turn around and put on a bad show and have them leave angry. So we need to entertain all the time. So that's, that's what the drift pit is mainly for. Now on our street legal nights, it's also, um, to bring in guys that just want to go do donuts and want to go wild in their cars in an, in a spot where they won't get in trouble. But that's what the new skid pad is for. Okay. So it's basically just if an accident happens, not just for that, but it's another entertainment aspect. Yeah. It's for people to kind of get that, um, 
I don't, I don't really know how to describe it. Scratch that itch, if well, you will, and people to get, do donuts and stuff. And spectators get bored really fast, so drag racing can be some of the most boring cleanups. You know, I, I went to a race in Las Vegas, and it was by no means the racetrack's fault, but it seemed like every other car was putting oil on the racetrack, and they would run one pair of cars and be down for 45 minutes, and then run one or two pairs of cars and be down for an hour. That was the longest event I've ever attended, and it's not the racetrack's fault. They did a phenomenal job of dealing with it but the spectators were not happy and you got to keep spectators happy and entertained because if they leave unhappy they might not come back if they leave happy they're going to tell their friends and we're going to have more come back and it's just going to continuously grow absolutely I'll be honest with you. Don't know how to bring it up, but you did want to give a shout out to your great employees. You want to talk about some some huge payout events and stuff like that. I was just going to give you the floor and, and, sure. and let you have the chance to kind of talk about that stuff. Well, like over Memorial Weekend, we had a four-day bracket race. And the bracket races are not based, they're not um, designed or geared towards the spectators. What they're designed for is for the racers themselves. So for that weekend, each racer would pay $400 entry fee and they were racing for 5000 to win on Friday, uh, on Thursday, I'm sorry, 7500 to win on Friday, 10000 to win on Saturday, and 6000 to win on Sunday. Now, with that, there's also round money. So it's not just the winner that gets that money. Runner-up, quarter-finalist, eighth-finalist, sometimes 16th-finalist all get money. We had that weekend at Reading, we had about $95,000, I believe, in payouts to make. And, wow. I mean, that's a big race. We had 129 yeah. cars from four or five states all come in here. And, you know, it's it's all these events that we do, some of them are based on getting the younger kids out to enjoy it and experience it and have fun. That's like what we did this last weekend. The Fox Hunt, the Fox Hunt has got great racing going on, <clears throat> but the event is really designed to bring in a lot of spectators and put on a great show. Then we've got some of our other bracket racing, our, our, like I mentioned earlier, the West Coast Architectural Sheet Metal Sponsored ET Racket Series. Um, that's for the local racers mainly to race for points. And then they go on to race the, the points winners go down to, and I'll be racing there as well. We go to Las Vegas for the uh, end of the year championship, but that's an annual or uh, weekly point series almost. We've got like 10 per season. And then we have the other specialty events. And the other specialty events are uh, our big money bracket races. Heck, we even rent the track to other, other um, establishments. Like we've got a Volkswagen race that took place in April. They're coming back in October. Um, Wolfgang International, he's a big part of that VW race, and uh, we've rented the track multiple times this year. So if we don't put on a type of race that somebody's trying to get uh, put on, you can come to me and say, hey, I want to have nothing but a Fiat race. I got a Fiat car club. We want to do a Fiat race this weekend. No problem. I can rent you the racetrack. You can get your whole car club out there, and anybody can do that. Anybody can go to ReadingMotorsportsPark.com. That is cool. They can get our email address, and um, – and they can get a hold of me directly. And what we'll do is we can set up a track rental to where we can do birthday parties. We can do corporate events. We can do anyth anything you want to do. Like right now, Crown Motors, their inventory is a little bit low. But when inventory starts coming back in, we're going to work on trying to get some rental cars out there. And if we've got a company that wants to come do a, a party in the, in, the, in the spring or the fall or whenever they want to do it and bring 20, 30 employees out, we want to have <laughs> 8 to 10 rental cars out there and let those employees race. That so, sounds so fun. I mean, it's there's no limit to what we can do with the drag strip. I mean, we've got this fundraiser coming up. So um, where is their name? I'm going to say their name wrong. 
<laughs> it's all good. I'll, I'll let you get your thoughts. Odin's. Uh, okay. There's a local motorcycle tribe out here. It's all veteran motorcycle riders. And they're putting on a fundraiser for us on September 3rd at the racetrack. They have secured 1,500 tennis balls and a, and a firefighting helicopter. They're going to go over the top of the donut pit, and they're going to drop 1,500 tennis balls into the donut pit. Now, there's a target at the bottom of the donut pit. Um, those tennis balls are going to be for sale for $20 each. They're on sale right now. You can get all the details by going to readingmotorsportspark.com, and you can email us, and we can get you in touch with anybody with the right people so you can purchase tennis balls. We're giving away $5,000 in cash prizes based on the tennis ball drop. This this uh, fundraiser cool. that that they're putting on for us is to purchase more safety equipment for the racetrack. So on September 3rd, at some point in the afternoon, that helicopter is going to take off with a, with a bag of balls hanging from underneath it, and they're going to drop it from 150 feet in the air. 100, uh, 1,500 tennis balls is going to be quite a... Quite that's a sight. A <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And then we've even got a couple other little things in place to where the main ball will land in a target that's just a, the size of a tennis ball. And I'm sure we'll fill that one. That one will get caught. And that's a $2,500 instant winner. Then there's a larger target around that. Anything that it lands in that target is $500 winners. Now, if these balls bounce and take off and none of them hit the target, we're going to have a couple dogs out there who love tennis balls. We're going to send a dog out and he's going to pick up a ball run back, and that number ball, whatever the dog picks up, that's going to be a winner, and the next one will be a winner. And we're giving out $5,000 in prizes based on the tennis ball drop, and it's going to be fun. I think uh, I think it's going to make the crowd, the crowd's going to go wild over it. Yeah, I'm already into it, and we're, we're sitting here in the studio. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I want to talk about one more thing with you, and it was kind of just, you know, and you touched on it earlier, but working with the city and mm-hmm. how supportive they've been and whatnot, what kind of hoops did you guys have to jump through last year early this year to really get this thing going and get that makeover how long was that process working with the city it was it was very fast um they're very open to having the racetrack there they, they like the location of the racetrack being next to the airport we don't have to worry about noise complaints um you know on occasion i stay out at the racetrack in my in my rv and when a jet comes in at 2 or 3 a.m and wakes me up i couldn't be happier because it's one of those things where if if the airport had crazy noise restrictions on it, well, then the racetrack might too. But right now, the airport runs 24-7, and the racetrack can run at all hours of the day. Of course, we want to be respectful to neighbors. There's not a lot of residential neighbors out that way. But um, for every one or two neighbors that complain, there's two or 300 people at the racetrack enjoying it. So racetracks are really under threat with urban sprawl across the country, and the unfortunate part is many times racetracks have been there for decades and there's never been a house near them. And all of a sudden developers come in and they start bringing houses in closer, closer, closer in these housing clauses is saying, Hey, there's a racetrack nearby. You can't do anything about the noise. We see it happen at Sacramento international airport, the airports out there and North Natomas has, has grown up to be so huge that people buy a house next to an airport and then, the next day, they're on the phone complaining about the noise the airport makes. It's not fair it's to the airport. airport. It's the airport. And, and, <laughs> and people, people look at racetracks as not being a necessity. Well, it might not be a necessity, but you knew it was there, and it was there for decades before you decided to purchase a house there. So racetracks are, are under threat across the country really bad because of urban sprawl. It's kind of, it's kind of one of the main um, hurdles that racetracks have to continue operating these days. Economic times, fuel prices and such – 
that doesn't make it easier, but really for racetracks to operate freely, um, noise complaints are the number one problem. Wow. Oh, I wouldn't have guessed that. I would have guessed it had been gas or just some you know, economic oil spills and you know, new surfaces. Well, but noise complaints are the number one thing, huh? Unfortunately, people are selfish. If, if it doesn't conform to their needs and their, their desires, they're going to complain. And, of course, racetracks are going to be noisy. Race cars are noisy. It's just the way it works. But it's, it's really not fair for, um, for the tracks and the track owners who put their blood, sweat, and tears and everything they've got into running their business and having a couple simple phone calls really can ruin it for, for them. You know, Sacramento Raceway, um, back when Mather Regional Park was Mather Air Force Base, they had no no problems with noise stuff because it was an Air Force base. You had afterburners lit and guys rolling in and out of there 24-7 all the time as an Air Force base. And now that it's just a regional park, there's limits on the hours of, of operation at the, at the airport there. And neighbors that have continued to encroach on SAC Raceway's property, they complain all the time. And it, it really sucks. There's, there's, you know, 500 people that live in that neighborhood. And... Five of them will complain. And there might be 5,000 people at the racetrack just enjoying every minute of what's going on. Little do they know that the racetrack is a threat is threatened to be closed all the time by because of those five people who complain about the noise. It's really just, it's not fair. And it's not just a Sacramento thing. We've been, we've had such great um, neighbors and, and support here in Reading that we haven't had to worry about that and deal with that. And hopefully we never do. But it is really a big, big problem in all forms of racing. We're talking motocross, sprint car racing, uh, NASCAR, circle track racing, drag racing. doesn't matter what form of racing it is. If there's a racetrack and there's a house nearby, there's somebody complaining about it, and they moved into that area a whole lot longer than that track's been operating. Is that why we don't see a lot of tracks down Los Angeles, San Diego, that area, Orange oh, County? Because urban sprawl. Oh, absolutely. And the cities just get more and more yep. into the hills and There used the to be a drag strip in Half Moon Bay. There used to be a drag strip in uh, Fremont called Baylands. Uh, oh, wow. Sonoma Raceway. You know, they still drag race a little bit. But I was say, is that still a thing? That's the same. That's a race car or NASCAR track, too, a right? NASCAR track and okay. a drag strip. Okay, that's and, what I thought. And they have extreme noise uh, curfews on them. Like, I don't think they can run a, a race car on that racetrack after 6 p.m. They get a, a couple exemptions throughout the year when big shows come in, like when the NHRA tour comes in. Um, but, yeah, it's it's been a problem for a very long time. Um, what's a, what's one of the most recent ones that closed down in California? Um, Fontana Speedway. Fontana, they built oh. that track and in the next to a rail yard and next to an old steel mill. And the track was doing great. Everybody loved racing there. Yeah. And then they started getting noise complaints. Well, I've stayed at... I've stayed many, many nights at the track in Fontana, and the rail yard is a 24-7 operation that's way louder than the racetrack. The racetrack was shut down for a year and a half while they had to spend like $1.2 million on a 20-foot-tall sound wall. So they put the sound wall up, got back to racing again, and then a few other things happened, and property is so valuable right now. Um, long story short, Amazon came in and took over the property, and there's oh. no longer a drag strip in Fontana. Um the NASCAR track, you know, property is so valuable. They're disassembling the NASCAR track in Fontana right now. They're, but they're, that's a good thing to an, to an extent. They're, they're decreasing the size of the track from a two-and-a-half-mile super speedway to a short track. My opinion, we need more short tracks in NASCAR anyway. That's, that, 
more short tracks like make Bristol. Me watch it more often. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. More because yeah, short... Sonoma's like 130 laps, but the it's insane, right? Well, the Sonoma's raceway? different. It's like, I think it's 1.7 miles. Okay, but it's a road course, and I've raced on Sonoma also. I've raced uh, 24 Hours of Lemons, which is basically a bunch of junkers out there uh, racing the road course for nine hours a day, two days in a row, and it's wow. an absolute blast. I mean, I I grew up at Sonoma Raceway as well, and um, you know, it's just, it's really hard. It's a difficult environment to, to California. It's difficult to keep racetracks um, open. And right now, Stockton Speedway, the, the sprint car track on the fairgrounds, they're under threat. Chico, uh, which Chico will be doing really good at Silver Dollar Speedway now that Kyle Larson's kind of running the show. But there's still government entities that are trying to take over some things and they want to do like homeless housing and low income. Like Chico's got a lot of issues they're trying to solve. I could see where they're yeah, they the put, homeless shelters. Yeah. They put in one of those um, small house homeless shelter camp things where the BMX track was yep. a BMX track doesn't make any noise. You just took however many kids raced BMX bikes and, and said, Oh, you guys don't get this anymore. It's just dirt still. Yeah. That's what got me. I mean, I, I, people can think what they want about it. Not getting all, all that today. Cool thing, in my opinion, they have the shelters, but it's all on dirt. I'm like, there's no sort of any sort of concrete. No, I don't know. And I'm sure know. there's some empty lots around that they could have done something different. But so there's a know. lot of space out there in Chico between them and the, and Abs- the Sierra. Absolutely. But. So I, I feel <laughs> really bad for the kids that lost their their, their BMX track. You know, you, you can't take things away from people that are – responsible and and just looking to enjoy themselves and compete and entertain themselves and just continuously give it to people who, I mean, I don't know what you do. There's no, I don't know the answer to the homeless type stuff, nor do I want to get into that necessarily right now, but it's just really unfortunate that they'll do that. They'll just take things away from one group and give it to another. And not saying this in in the event of Chico, but you know, you bring that up where, you know, noise complaints, raceways and stuff are going away see the thing in LA happen, you know, it's like, Oh, oh yeah. we'll happen in the middle of the city and then we'll go rob stores and then we'll go rob and smash and grab. And it's like, so, you know, you, you give and take, and that's not every situation, but that can happen, you know? And I assume that's due to lack of access for well, stuff it happens like that all the time. When a racetrack closes, the race cars don't disappear. So I'm not saying a hundred percent of the race cars that are at a racetrack. Let's just say we have a hundred cars uh, regularly at our racetrack. If the track closed down, I'm not saying all 100 of them are going to go to street racing, but a good percentage of them will. So you close down racetracks and then they go street racing and accidents happen there and you can, and and the media and everybody condemns street racing, but you guys took away the place that they could actually do it in a controlled environment. You know, it's, it's such a unfair uh, game to where we're just trying to have fun with our cars and we're just trying to race and have a good time and keep people safe and, and, and have the right type of safety and EMTs and personnel out there to where if there is an accident, response time is immediate. We can get somebody out of a car, into an ambulance, get them to where they need to be. But the safety in these race cars is so high. Um, the safety features have, have improved so much over the past years that most of the time drivers walk away and the problem you get when it comes to street racing also is if guys aren't going to the racetrack, now there's no tech inspection. There's no type of um, rules to say if your car is so fast it needs a roll cage or you need a special type of seat belts or you need to wear a helmet. So street racing gets even worse when there's no accountability, there's no guidelines, there's nothing. So when racetracks get closed, 
street racing gets worse. And then racers that are still trying to do something at a, dra- at a track are getting a bad rap when it's not their fault at all. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I want to ask you about this. Have you ever gone to K1 Speed? You ever heard of K1 Speed? Yeah, in it's Sacramento like a- off Bradshaw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you've been there before? We used to do, Sac Raceway used to do their annual end-of-the-year parties there. Okay. So we'd get, it ended up being like 20, 30 drag racers there all racing the, the road and course the little, there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I love that place. And I, I wonder if you uh, had ever been there. I'm, I'm sure you had. But, yeah, it's fun. Uh, I know they're creating more uh, and more of them. They're popping up everywhere, and I, I love that place. Well, you know, we've got Shasta Kart Club is on the property, so you can come out and get a go-kart. Oh, and really? Go race. They race 100-mile-an-hour shifter carts right there at the at the end of the drag strip. Seriously? Yeah, and then oh, they've, also, they've also got some, uh, some other categories that are very affordable where uh, – they're not nearly as fast, but they're everybody's competing on the same level. And and you can go to Shasta Kart Club anytime. They got a website. You can get signed up, come out. They've even got some loaner cars that people can come out and take test rides in. That's one thing we're trying to work on at the drag strip. We're trying to get a couple uh, uh, junior dragsters and maybe full size dragsters acquired to where we can get people out and get them acclimated with race cars and get them licensed and do some things to where we just need to keep having new racers uh, continue to help support the sport. You make one Facebook post a year and a half ago, and your entire life flip, is flipped upside down. You guys have a lot of stuff coming up. You got the famous fox hunt. To kind of wrap things up, Jesse, I want to just kind of ask you what comes next in 2022, what you have planned, maybe even after this is going on, um, just kind of how this has all been for you, and just kind of what you're looking forward to after this. Well, we've got uh, a really good staff. Our staff, we don't we don't try to treat them like, like they're just staff and employees. We try to treat them like family. This is really at heart, it's a family-owned business. And uh, the locals here are really liking it, so we get people that want to come out and volunteer all the time. So building those relationships and keeping those relationships strong and going, that's that's kind of the goal of the rest of the year because we came up from Sacramento, and to be honest, a lot of people from up in this way aren't fond of Sacramento people. It's a lot like right. uh, it's a lot like Texans or Tennesseans not liking Californians come, come to their place, right? right. Well, we kind of got... People t- took that approach with us when we first came in. Now they see that um, we're all about the racetrack and we're all about the racers and the community, and the community has jumped on board to, to I think we've kind of washed a lot of that stigma away. So more people are coming out and, and helping, and, and the staff and their, their families, you know, uh, we've got multiple staff members that, that have family members that come out and help too. So that's been really good. Uh, we're going to try to keep all of them happy for 2022. Uh, 2023, I'll tell you the biggest improvement we would love to do at the racetrack is we would like to get running water and a septic system and have running water restrooms and showers at the track. That's where we lack right now. That is our weakest point at the racetrack is we don't have running water on the facility, um, nor do we have a septic system on the facility and we have to do everything out of Porta Johns Mm. and it's hot and redding and it is difficult. I tell you what, but if we can get running water next year and we can get a septic system put in next year, it would be great for us to put in about a 1,500-square-foot uh, men and female restrooms with some showers because a lot of our racers, they stay at the racetrack for the weekend, you know, and, and not everybody has a motorhome. Some of them sleep in their enclosed trailers. Some sleep in a tent. So to put running water restrooms and showers in would be just I, – I can't even tell you how amazing it will be if massive. we can manage to do that. Uh, in the early part of next year. So I think we have a lot of our events penciled in um, already for next year. One one addition we're going to have is we are going to get back to doing a diesel drags. 
that's something that, you know, everybody up here has got a truck. Everybody's into trucks. We're going to do a truck and diesel drag probably with a, um, with a sled pole. Uh, we tried to do a monster truck show there this year that didn't quite pan out. But, you know, we're not just talking drag race cars all the time. We want to put on all kinds of different shows, and we want people to say, uh, we want to go to this type of drag race or that type of drag race or the truck race or sled pole um, or drift competition or sound stereo competition. Heck, we have the opportunity if somebody really wanted, they can use our facility to put a wedding on at, you know. So Oh, wow. We can do the sky's the limit for what we can do, and, and we're yeah. really easy to get a hold of. Main thing we want to do for the rest of this year is um, get the rest of our bills paid off. We got a few more bills from all the track improvements to get paid off, and then focus on what we can do for our next level improvements next year. One of the main ones, hopefully, is restrooms. We're also going to change the entrance, the entrance a little bit. Right now, it was amazing at Cool April Drags. We had. 8.30, 9 o'clock at night, and a row of cars two miles long trying to get into the racetrack still. So we're wow. going to change the entrance a little bit to open it up to be three or four lanes wide to really kind of speed up that flow of cars that are coming into the racetrack. And um, I love it. I mean, I, I hate the fact that some people had to wait longer than I would ever want them to wait outside the gate, but they kept on coming in. And so for us to speed up that process and – Restrooms, that's that's our two number one uh, items for, for next year. Well, Jesse, I think you and Tony have a, a great thing going on. I want to thank you for coming on today. I learned a lot of stuff. I had no idea about any of this stuff when I invited you on. I'll be totally honest. That's why I wanted to have you, and I knew this was going on. So so thank you very much. And if you guys want any more information or want to check out any more events or anything like that or even get more info about this event, the famous fox hunt coming up on Friday, September 2nd, Saturday, September 3rd, Labor Day weekend, you can go to readymotorsportspark.com where you can find that and all sorts of other stuff. Anything else promote Jesse? Um, you know, like I said, I can talk about this stuff day in, day out, 24 hours a day. I know I kind of got some run-on sentences happening here and there, and and, all good. and and the info doesn't always mesh just perfectly, but <laughs> I'll talk about this anytime. People can come out to the racetrack. They can ask any of the employees, hey, where's Jesse at? They'll point me to them. Any questions they've got, if they don't understand how some of the categories work or something that, that – that they just don't understand and want some more information about. I'll pull anybody aside and give them anything they want to know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm out here to make sure that we're in it for the long run. I don't want anybody to feel like, oh, I don't understand. This isn't fun. If you're not understanding something or not having fun, just come see me. I'll fix it. Sounds good. I will be out there on September 3rd. And, again, thank you for coming on, Jesse. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. If you guys made it this far, thank you for listening. I'll be back here in a few days' time, and I will see you guys later. Have a good day.